welcome to the Green Schooner Podcast. I am your host, Paul Grant. This week we talked to Stuart Nielsen of North Ryden Brewery. North Ryden Brewery has become one of the go-to names of cask beer in Yorkshire, which is no mean feat. We worked hard growing from a small brew pub in Scarborough to the large outfit they are today. Shop news, we have a brand new brewery. It's not every day we get to say that we have a brand new brewery in the shop. Um, I think we're also the first stop of sport. It is Otherworld Brewing from just outside of Edinburgh, but really it is Edinburgh for all intents and purposes. Otherworld Brewing is the work of Daniel Jewett and Theo Barnes, who have worked in and around the Edinburgh here for many, many years. Uh, Daniel was at Campervan when they first started doing the experimentation beers. Theo worked at a brew store and eventually worked at Born and Borders Brewery. We have five new beers from them this week. Hopefully, we'll be more online very soon. We have two sour beers, a New England IPA with Sabro, a mixed fermentation hazy pale, and a light lager aged in dense Isla bags. Very, very tasty, very, very smoky, perfect for all you rack beer fans. Let's get into our interview with Stuart. Apologies for any sound issues that pop up. It seems like he was having a few technical issues on his end, or it could have been on my end. So this week, it is Stuart Nielsen of North Brighton Brewery. Stu, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Good, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, busy day at the office again, so can't complain. Well, especially when it's well, it's still January, so being busy in any capacity is always is always good. Yeah, I mean, well, we've got we've only got three days left of the worst month of the year, but mind you, saying that for us for a Scotsman, you've just probably been celebrating Burns Night traditionally or untraditionally. Um. Ours, ours was a little quieter personally, but I can't speak for everybody else's. Um, it's weird we don't we don't have that big national day that everybody gets really drunk for. You know, we you know we we get we kind of get two that we could pick from, and we don't really do anything with either. We have Burns Night, and we have St Andrew's Day, but honestly, it's nothing. It's never ever like St George's Day or St Paddy's Day. There's nothing we don't. I don't think we celebrate it quite the way everybody else celebrates theirs. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I don't really, you know, most days end in the letter Y, and that's it for me, really. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's sort of like somebody who's half Scottish and 100% Yorkshire. It's sort uh, you know, August the 1st is Yorkshire Day for me, and I'll try and make sure there's a Yorkshire pudding and some a pint of bitter or something like that. But other than that, that's it, really. <laughs> Ah yeah, ah yes, the class, the classic Yorkshire pairing is actually no. I'm in, I'm into that. I'm into that. Um, yeah. So Stu, yeah, I mean, yep. Sorry, <laughs> I'll let you finish. No, I'd, I'd, I'd finished. It. I'm, I'm, I'm oh, waiting for the question. <laughs> let's let's go back to the. Uh, I don't know how far back you want to admit on this one. Let's go back to the beginning. Where does your interest in beer start? God, the beginning. 
I think I, I, I remember growing up as a teenager um, with friends, um, going to the pub, um, probably aged something or other, and just my choice of drink was probably it was whatever beer they were serving on cask. But I didn't probably appreciate or realise this until probably 20 years ago um, when we start. well, when, when I got the first pub, started selling real ale, and then clearly real ale was a, a big thing in the, in the pub industry. It was, it was the way that we wanted to, the route that we wanted to go down. Um, and then when you look back at what you were actually drinking when you were younger, and around the hostilities of Scarborough in my, I'll say, mid-teens. Um, it would probably be Theakstons. Um, There was quite a bit of influence from the sort of like northeast and even Scotland as well. So there would be Youngers, McEwans, that sort of stuff that um, made its way down into Scarborough. But I would say my probably mainstay first of all, pine would be something like Theakston's, Theakston's XP, something like that. And you're probably looking at 1990, I will say, when mm -hmm. I was a ripe old age of 15. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was only probably when I started seeing beer availability lists at the at, when we had the cricketers, which we got in like 2001, and then all of a sudden the memories start flooding back with, you know, things you used to drink when you were a lad and, you know, was it, are they your halcyon drinking days? I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. But, it, you know, again, it was, you know, drink, drinking early, it was just about going to the pub with your, with your friends. And, you know, I think it's probably still, still that for me now. Yeah, everybody's halcyon drinking ages is when they were teenagers like oh that's when everything was the best and everything was cheap and everything was this that and the other you know looking back for me i'm like even i'm a little bit like was my house scene drinking like it clearly wasn't but was my house scene drinking days when i turned 18 and going to the pub and with mates and stuff like i think there's you know you yourself you're saying you were doing it a little younger than technically illegal but it's, fu it's fine you know we're we're way past the statute of limitations on that i think um, it's... Yeah, I, 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 it, it was where I used to go drinking at a pub called the uh, Cask in Scarborough, and it was where all, it literally was where all the students, you know, sixth form students, stuff like that, everyone went there on either a Friday or Saturday night, and it was the, they had a downstairs bar that was called the Toby Jug, and basically when the people at school or sixth form in the year below you started drinking in the Toby jug, you knew that was when you, it was your turn to go upstairs <laughs> to the room above, to the main pub bit. And it was sort of like an, un, an unwritten rule, really. But it, it, it was I, I just remember it being very, very busy. The spot would be packed. Either If you went in on a Friday night, it would be packed. If you went in on a Saturday night, it would be packed. And you would, you know, you would see people from other school that you'd maybe played cricket or rugby or whatever against. And... You know, you sort of like got to know them on a social level, which for me probably carried on when I started. Well, I, I play cricket in summer, and again, you see some of the people you grew up with, or you know, playing against at school, and they they play for the local club and that. 
And again, it, it was a social thing after the game that everyone would go in wherever you're playing if, if they had their own bar and clubhouse for a, for a pint after the game and, you know, chat about things off the field. And again, it's, it's a social aspect of, um, of, of beer, really. Yeah, it's... Yeah, not being a sports player, I think a lot of that bypassed me, but I definitely see that looking back in a lot of ways, looking back at the people that did, um, especially because I kind of, my sport's kind of shinty, so I kind of see that, I can see people doing that, and, you know, there's a convivial atmosphere off the, off the grass, essentially. It's it's never it's never one that ends up being grudges or anything. You could, you could you know, for every sports rivalry there's sports camaraderie and amongst it as well yeah i I mean i i I was reading uh i can't think it was something to do with the rugby players or something about being inclusive and um literally just you know on, on the pitch and off the pitch is completely different and people you know from complete other sides of the globe have made you know friends for life just by sat having a drink whether it be alcoholic or not after the games and again it's you know it's it's a social thing really well did you i mean so, did, you, did you did you grow up in kakodi area is that where you're from no i'm from just outside of aviemore in the highlands uh, originally that's 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 my sir origin right. story there um and our, and you know, I'm looking back as well. I'm looking back at the pubs that we used to drink in, and it's the thing that always got a little odd for me was all these people that you weren't particularly sort of chatty with. Like, you know, I, I was, you know, I feel like the TV show In Betweeners was a very good sort of, ed, you know, light lesson for how how high school was for me. Certainly at that age, it it came out just after I left high school. Um, all of a sudden, people that you weren't necessarily pally with, you all of a sudden you made friends with them in the pub because everybody w- w- was a little looser. Everybody was a b- little bit more willing to start communicating stuff like that. So, and going into Aviemore itself, it's the sort of meeting point because you have Canusie High School and Granton Grammar School, and you have Aviemore bang in the middle of it. Even though it's the major town, both culturally and economically, between the in you know in the area, it wasn't the high school town. It was where the nightclubs were it's where the bubs were it's where people went and all of a sudden these you know there was always these school rivalries that boiled up and all of a sudden two years later you're all you're all in the terrible nightclub the vault which has really low roofs even for somebody as short as me like going oh i can just not touch the seal all of a sudden everybody's kind of giving it big licks and everything else so yeah i I definitely you know that ties back into the question about the halcyon drinking days as well Mm. Yeah, it's, it's it's one of the. I mean, I've i quite a lot of Scottish family. It's it's one of the few bits of Scotland I haven't I haven't seen. Uh, you know, I had uh, family in Lothian, family in Air, family in Dundee, family in Scone. Pronounced it right for all the uh, Scottish people yep. listening there. <laughs> and we didn't say Scone. So yeah, it's you know and. Uh, Trips up to I've got I mean I've I've been right the way up to the top and been to Darnock and places like that that you know absolutely beautiful places I do plan on oh we we do plan on doing the North Coast Five Hundred at some point um, so it's you know details and stuff like that of course of course 
Um, yeah, it's an odd, it's an odd area because you can just drive past it and go, oh, well, there's a sign for everywhere. Oh, and we've passed it, and then that's kind of it. And then you're like, all right, cool. We didn't really stop it and see it. It's it's such a weird destination town for some people. Like I, you know, when I moved to Edinburgh, I talked to people, and they're like, oh yeah, we're going. We went to Abbey Moor on, on our stag do, and I'm like, why? It's just it's two nightclubs, a couple of miserable <laughs> pubs, and then then. That's kind of it, really, and it's. I do have some good memories attached to the place. Of course, so you, I mean, when you say, Abbey, yeah, like, when you say Abbey Moor to me, I, I think I, don't, I think of skiing and stuff like that. Is is it? Yeah. Do, do the there's a lot of that as well. It's snowing? we went. You know, it was only when I once again when I moved to Edinburgh, I realized that skiing wasn't a thing people in school did just normally. Like we were like, oh yeah, we went up the Cairngorm skiing as a. You know, as teenage as children, and then we went to uh, the Lecht Range when we were in high school. And people looked at me like I was posh. I was like, "No, this was just the thing that we did in school. It might have been a whole day thing, but you know, it's because we had it right there. You know, you take advantage of it as well. It's it's not something. You know, I'm very lucky yeah, to have I experienced mean, that as well. I, I, yeah, it's like I mean, I, I um, I, I've practically lived by the sea all of my life and when I lived in Newcastle for a few years as a student on all the bank holidays and that everyone would get on the metro and go to Tynemouth or Whitley Bay um, places where we actually deliver beer to now and everyone made a big thing about it and I'm like god I mean back in the day in the 90s they were, they were basically dumps and um, you know they're not now they really are nice places and I was like been growing up in Filey and being close to Scarborough and Whitby and Bridlington and the Yorkshire Riviera, going to um, to like Spanish City or what have you on a bank holiday weekend with all your friends and that, and I'm like, wow, I think I, you know, it just it just didn't cut it for me. But I, you know, it's the it's the, you know you, you do become accustomed to um, you know living by the the sea. I mean. Where we are now, you're close to the you know the Yorkshire Moors, so you're near you're near a national park, and you've got the seaside on your doorstep, so pretty spoiled really. And you know you can when you go out of the pub on a morning to go to work, I always try and make sure the car is pointing towards the uh, the North Bay, so you know you're just literally fifty yards around the corner. You've got the uh, view of Scarborough Castle and the whole of the North Bay. And, if you were to the right sunrise, it's just absolutely breathtakingly spectacular. It, it, you know, it really is. Yeah, that's it's it's a part of the world I really need to get to, and certainly, certainly visiting your your brew pub as well is certainly on the list as well. And we talked about that last time I, we saw you in Manchester in October. So your your first pub was the yeah, Cricketers, that's right. Then. Yeah, yeah. Um, speak, yeah, speak yeah, about we, that. I, I, I was I was working for Safeway, the now defunct supermarket chain, <laughs> and uh, I was a department head for them, and I was just about to go on to management courses for them, and I sort of like I fell out with the store manager that we we had a new store manager, and he just I had a, like a progression that I was going through um you know working my way up um and like I say I was just about to go into a management course and then 
we got a new manager who just didn't cut it with me. And then I was my brother-in-law. So Karen's brother um, basically said one day, oh, there's the pub. See, he's got a hotel just up from ours. Um, and he said, oh, there's a pub up for um, rent just up the road from us. You fancy doing that for a change? And I, to be honest with you, I, it, it's, um, you know, it was by by chance, really. And I said, yeah, okay, thanks. I just didn't want to stay at Safeways then. Um, so we took it on. And, you know, it took quite a, a lot of hard work. I would literally do seven 12-hour bar shifts a day for months on end until we sort of like got established. And... Um, you know, probably 2002, 2003, things really took off for us. But unfortunately, uh, it was for a pub company. And even though we turned the pub around from being shut to being really busy, it just wasn't profitable. Um, so we left there in 2005 after trying to buy the North Riding about three times. The problem with it was it kept changing hands while we were trying to buy it through, uh, I think it was originally Pubmaster, one of the now-gone pub chains owned it, and then Punch Taverns bought a, bought a job lot off Pubmaster, and then we tried to buy it off them, and then they offloaded about half a dozen of the pubs that they bought in the area to a company called Admiral Taverns. I don't know whether they're still on the go, and then we ended up buying it off them. So it was nearly two years when we first sort of like approached Pubmaster and said, do you want to, you know, do you want, I know you've got job lots up for sale. Do you want to sell it to us? And they said, yeah. And then months down the line, they said, oh, we're selling it to Punch as a job lot now. And then that happened again with Punch. And then we ended up buying it and completing sometime in July, 2005. Um, so actually this is, this is our 17th year at the North Riding now. Um, and again, we, we left we left the cricketers with a reputation for selling real ale, which was invaluable. Um, we, we actually left the cricketers with quite a bit of debt as well, and it took us quite a while to pay it off. Um, and uh, we sort of like we hit we hit the north the north riding, you know, we hit it, you know, all guns blazing really, and it took off pretty much straight away because we did have a reputation for selling real ale. And then, you know, I mean, if you, if you look at what happens, you know, the things sort of like pop up left, right and centre nowadays and, and sort of like back in the olden days, you know, you really had to work hard for the trade. And it was one of them, once you'd got people through the door, they would come back for more. But it, it, Scarborough's one of those towns that, it, it can be quite hard just to get people through the door to start off with. Um, but I think now, you know, being, being here for 17 years, I don't think there's many sort of like pubs in Scarborough now that have been under that sort of ownership for that period of time. You know, they, mm. they just come and go. So, you know, we are, we offer stability and, you know, reason, reason, reasonable beer to drink and stuff like that. We've got a little bit going for us. Um, and and that, that's sort of like the pub bit. Um, when we bought the North Riding, I mean, it's a, it's a fair-sized building, 
Um, the basement mm. is like huge. Um, and it was sort of like when we were like going, look at, I mean, the cellar's huge as well. You know, I, I couldn't believe from the cellar I had at the cricketers, which was, I mean, it was good. It was okay. I could get plenty of beer in there and that. But when, when I first looked at the cellar at the North Riding and it had this absolute vast space and I'm like, why is this pub? not sold real early. It's got the seller of dreams for anyone. And, you know, delivering beer to many sellers in, in the Midlands and the north of England and everywhere. I'm, I, and, I, you know, I've, I can I can sympathise with some, some uh, publicans as to how hard it must be to manage their seller knowing what volumes of beer they turn over. Whereas, you know, we, we've got the facilities to turn... The beer over that we do comfortably without having beer venting left right and center on top of barrels and this that and the other and the, there was also these other rooms downstairs and you're like um thought, you know if we, if we ever wanted to put a little brew kit in downstairs then we've certainly got the space to do it and started thinking about that probably about 2009 and i, I so, you know, you're keeping your eye out for kit and stuff like that. And it was in the summer of 2010. I had uh, a mate of mine who's got a Yorkshire Dales brewery up in Askerig. Absolutely glorious part of uh, Yorkshire. He sort of like said, oh, I've seen this uh, two-barrel plant uh, advertised. It's down in, I think it was in Suffolk somewhere. So, gave the guy a ring, you know. Can I have a, he sent me a load of pictures, stuff like that. And I just thought, right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have it. Um, so I went, I, I went down in my transit van. Uh, Rob, actually, he went down in his transit van from Askrig. And a friend of ours, he hired a van. So we, it was sort of like it was three transit vans. Not in, we were in transit, but we were all in transit. <laughs> and we managed to get the whole lot, including casks into these three transit vans uh, and got it back to the pub safely. Uh, two of the vessels didn't fit down our cellar drop, so I ended up flogging them to a bloke in Halifax and it was literally, they were old 90-gallon Grundy tanks that fit down the drop perfectly with about a seven-centimetre gap uh down the drop and so and it, it was it was a gas fired kit so i ended up converting it to electric and that there was me thinking picking this uh, kit up early july 2010 oh we'll have it up and running in a month easily and it was actually january the following year before the first uh, brews got actually done so i think we got the first beers from the brew pub out on the bar second week in january 2011 and that was sort of like when my brewing commercially, but only for the pub, started. And, and it was, you know, it was good fun. At the end of the day, when you're only brewing two barrels, so literally you got seven or eight nines out of each brew, you know, experimentation. It, it, that's all I did, really. And it, it gave us a really, really good basis for when um, it was set up on the, on the much bigger kit. And going from just brewing, I mean, it literally was for fun. And, you know, it got to a stage where just about 99% of the stuff that I'd make 
it just you know it flew off the bar really you don't need to worry about selling it to any other pubs because the people in the area would, would drink it all and then going up to 10 barrels and then all of a sudden you've got substantially more and it's it's for pubs you know it was quite a good it was quite a learning curve really it, you know it took us i would say it took us a good year or so before we found our you know our niche really um i, I mean i i always wanted just to brew pale hoppy stuff i wasn't really interested in doing any dark beers or anything like that um i i, I just wanted to write what new new hops around that can do pails with uh, and when i first started brewing in 2011 you could just literally phone up the hop merchants and say oh, i want this that and the other and it was they always had them there was there was never any supply issue of hops and then now unless you forward contract hops you are you know the majority of them you've literally got no chance of getting and and mm. it's like some hop varieties they just you know, if you if you turn up as a new microbrewer tomorrow, there'll be probably plenty of varieties that you'll that you won't get your fingers on for a, a, quite a number of years. I would have thought. Um, this was so that, that, the that was. I mean, the the bro. This was the era where Citra was Sorry, just so, beginning so... to turn. Sorry, um, this was well, about the era that yeah, Citra I mean, was just well, turning up, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, 2011, the first brew I did at the pub was, it was an old Chinook. That that was sort of like the hop of the, you know, that was my favourite hop at the time. Thought, right, I'm going to brew a single hop Chinook Pale. It was called Riding First. Um, I actually got my uh, second beer, um, was a Nelson Serving Beer. And uh, Malcolm from Five Towns, he, uh, I knew he had some Nelson serving. And I mean, literally for a two barrel batch, I needed about a kilo and a half Nelson serving. So Malcolm happily gave me some of his Nelson serving. That was the second beer. <coughs> Third beer, um, I remember phoning Charles Farham, hot merchants up, speaking to Andrew Wally, who... He was the guy I dealt with at Charles Farham, but it's somebody I'd known for a number of years because he was the head brewer at York Brewery for quite a considerable amount of time. And I remember having a conversation with Andrew and he's basically saying, we've got this new American hop stew. Um, I thought it was going to be the next big thing, but we're sort of like, we've still got plenty of it and people are reluctant to try it. Uh, it's got really aggressively zesty citrus characters uh, with distinct grapefruit and mango flavour. And I'm like, sold, send me some. And uh, he said, it's called Citra. And this was like, sort of like January, still January 2011. And I remember getting this Citra and I thought, right, I'll do a single hot pail, the same way I did the Chinook. Um and I, I just remember the all of us, the the from when once it started fermenting, the aromas down in the like brew house were just insane. And I just remember once it fermented, having a taste of this beer, and I'm like, wow. And I was just like, this this beer is. I think if I can get people to drink this beer, people will really take notice of us. 
uh, how and the thing is when you've only got seven nines of it or something, it's it's because I'm like think I'm going to chuck this on the bar at the pub and it's just going to because what was happening because we were near when there's you've got that element of people with the free train passes who go around the country <clears throat> just looking for new beers and that and we I only had one fermenter at the time and I was like. I would brew a batch of beer, seven nines, and we would start feeding them on the bar on a Thursday night, and by the end of Sunday, it had all gone. And then you would get these tickers turning up on a Monday at the pub, and we've got no, none of our beer. And so I literally had to put, we had to put something on our website saying, you know, if you, if you are making a special journey just coming to try the beer, please get in touch with us just to make sure we've got some on, because it's, it, you know, it was just going bonkers. And then... I think it was Bradford Camera had got in touch with us to get a beer for the beer festival that they had in February. And I'm like, oh, I've got this Citra Hot beer in the tank. Um, do you want one of the, It's the only beer I've got. And they're like, oh, we'll take a nine of it. And it, it was only the third brew I did, and it won beer of the festival at, at Bradford out of about, I don't know, 90 or 100 beers or something. And, and it sort of like took off from there, really. That's that's quite incredible. Um, I'm gonna to have to pause for a second. So, <clears throat> so obviously, one fermenter is not a viable sort of business plan, and obviously, the attention was no. You know, it's you know. Yeah, I managed to. Uh, so, so yeah. So one once I one. I mean, the worrying thing for me was when I'd set this uh, brewery up in the in the cellars of the pub, all the bits that I had left over. And I was like, you're going through your brain. You've got to get from like a hot liquor tank to a mash tun, to a kettle, through a heat exchanger, to a fermenter. And I'm like, why have I got all these bits left over? And I never I never fathomed it out. I ended up just um, selling them as scrap stainless steel. And, you know, I got a few quid back for all the bits of pipe that were left over. <clears throat> and then I was like looking for these 90-gallon Grundy tanks uh, online and this this was in 2011 they were like good I, I managed to get the first one which was in it wasn't in very good condition but i managed to pick one up for about 150 quid um but you know three or four really hot caustic washes and it, it was like new so then I, I had two fermenters and so we could start making sure beer was available all the time at the pub and then I decided to get a third fermenter. I think it was maybe about eight, nine months later. And I think I ended up paying £400 for the same piece of equipment, although it was a little bit cleaner than the other one. I think I picked it up from a spot in uh, Retford, just south of Doncaster. And again, I just went in the in my van and picked it up, had it back, and then I've got three fermenters. And it was um, it was pretty, you know consistent after that and then it was just a case of changing hot bills on pale ales and and then um there was one or two dark beers kicked in um we actually did i don't think it wasn't my first dark beer that i did i think my first dark beer i went and just borrowed some dark malts off uh, another brewery in yorkshire because i didn't being the, the auctioness in me said, I'm not going to buy a 25 kilogram bag of roast barley if I only need five kilos of it. So I'll go and, I'll go and buy five kilos of 
off a local brewer, you know, somebody else who I know, <laughs> who, who we were buying beer off of the pub. I think it was Brown Cow Brewery, so I think it was Sue Simpson that I managed to, well, in fact, she just gave me some. She says, what do you want? I said, just probably a tiny bit of dark crystal and a bit of uh, a bit of roast barley. And she just, you know, oh, there you go. I've got some. You can have some. And I'm like, thanks. And uh, and then when I think our, our busiest time for real ale at the pub, is when uh, Yorkshire are playing cricket just up the road. So our our patronage when the cricket's on is, is bizarre. It really is bizarre. And they drink real ale like it was going out of fashion. And, you know, you quite easily turn 10 nines a beer over a day when the cricket's on up the road. It's, um, it's you know, it's insane sales. And um, a, couple of the, a couple of lads who, who if... If you were sort of like sending anyone to the world real ale drinking competitions, you'd send these two lads because they like fish, and they were just like collared me one day in the pub, and it was like, uh, "We like we like a dark mild uh, still. You you wouldn't fancy brewing as a dark mild, would you?" And I'm like, "Yeah, what what can do with whatever you want, you know." So. For the next, for the Scarborough Cricket Festival in 2011, I think it was, I'd brewed this uh, Dark Mild. And these two lads, um, oh, I mean, the burly chaps, let's put it this way. And they said, do us a mild, call it Fat Lads Mild. You know, you're basically brewing it for a pair of fat lads. And Fat Lads Mild actually got bronze medal at Peterborough Bay Festival that year. <laughs> And I was like, "Wow, this that this is absolutely amazing." I mean, the, the the name's probably not. It's not something I would call a beer nowadays. We just sort of like we stick to whatever pale ale or whatever mild or whatever. But when it was at the pub, and you know, it's you don't really want to be making something gender specific. Let's say like fat lads mild. Mm. But at the end of the day, that's the story behind that beer. It's still brewed at the pub now. It's still a massively popular dark mild. Um, and, and like I say, getting bronze medal at Peterborough was just like beyond my wildest expectations. So I think we sent, I, I sent a couple of beers down because we were new. They said, oh, can we have a pale and a dark? And I did have two FVs then. So I can't remember what pale beer we sent them down. And I thought the pale beer was mint. And this dark mild, well, it's just a dark mild. And, you know, I think thankfully, dark mild is is people are people are shouting about it a little bit more now, and you know, the, there are certain high end craft breweries that are doing making mild, and and you know, we actually plan on making two new milds um, this year, some back end of March, start of April, uh, ready with a big push that people do for mild in May, uh, and I'm, I am going to do. Um, Something low fours and maybe something high in the high five six percent bracket as well, um, which I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what we can fathom out. But I, th- I think they will sell pretty well as well. So it's yeah, it's it's the new style. It's the new cool thing. Is is a dark mild and everybody's kind of like oh <clears throat> yeah. I mean I, I I've been I've been making yeah. I've been making dark mild for eleven years now. Well, nearly eleven years. So. Um, and you know there are some fantastic. You know, I mean, we if we can get older Sarah Hughes dark ruby uh, for the pub, 
then it's it's a it's a given sale. It really is because it's it's a stunning beer, uh, and I know. Oh, I think I saw Matthew Curtis tweeting about it yesterday yes. or the day before, saying if anyone you know if somebody tells me they've got if somebody tells me they've got Sarah Hughes Dark Ruby on, I will change my plans now and go and drink it. It's um, but it's one of those milds though. It's very different from every other sort of dark mild on the market, and it because it's dark ruby, it's six percent, is it six and a half or something? Yeah, I think it's six percent. Yeah, but it, it has got a really, really unique flavour. I've know, never I'm, tried it. It's... I, I, I wouldn't even hazard a guess at what the recipe is. No, you've I'm... never tried it. No, you've not been born, lad. I'm telling thee. Oh, <laughs> it's one of those beers that. Just... Well, I wouldn't imagine it does. I mean, it, it's. I'm. I'm not sure what size. Not. Not a big kit. I'm... No. Well, this is it, isn't it? And like I say, on the rand. On the random and very rare opportunities, you know, somebody's got some for sale. It's just like it's an automatic sale. And people ask for it because they've had it in the pub. People ask for it in the pub. And you're like, oh, I just can't get hold of any. I'm sorry. And, you know, you might, some of the wholesalers we deal with at the pub, you know, that we actually sell beer to from the brewery as well. It might just be, oh, if, if, if you know, if you get offered some, get us one. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's it, really. It's the same with a few beers, really. So, something that's been... Mm-hmm. I've been wanting to ask for a little bit. You you know, <laughs> you kind of went on a bit of a great, great story. Is what's what's the sort of the rest of the real ale scene or general beer scene in Scarborough like? You know, is, you know are you the outlier in being a guest beer pub and brewing your own beer? Or is there, I don't want to say rivalry or industrial espionage but what's what's the rest around you look like uh scarborough i'll I'll be honest with you i I don't really i mean i'm not like the olympic flame when it comes to going out (laughs) uh, but I, I, i very very rarely go out in scarborough my my sort of like going out in scarborough is normally on a tuesday night uh, to play pool and snooker. So invariably, I might play pool at pubs that sell real ale, uh, but I tend to be in my car because I've been playing snooker as well, so I won't be drinking anyway. But, um, I mean, there's there's Scholars Bar, um, which, I mean, they're known for if you want to go and watch sport, and he normally has six beers, normally from Yorkshire on in there. They occasionally sell our beer as well. Um, there's a spot near the railway station called the Craft Bar. They're sort of like they're the newest bar in town, where they but it's, it's predominantly craft keg. Um, but they do have I don't I don't know how many have, they might have three four hand pumps in there as well, but they predominantly sell keg beer. Um, but they do sell our beer on cask as well. Um, there's there's a couple few micro pubs, um, one uh, stumbling that sort of like that was the first micro pub to open in Scarborough. They've been around, I don't know, maybe four four five years. It might, might, might be longer. Um, there's the Firkin micro pub. They they sell our beer. Um, there's a couple of. I mean, there's, there is there's a, there's a spoons in town which I don't go in. Um, there's a couple of pubs down in the old town 
near the harbour that sell rail ale as well. There's a Sam Smith's on the seafront, the Golden Ball. Uh, there's some of the like clubs as well. There's a corporation club, which is like the old council workers club. They, 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 they have two or three rail ales on all the time. They normally have one of ours. Um, so it, it's not bad. I wouldn't say it was a destination place to go for in generally, mm-hmm. but you know, if you drink, if you do like rail ale or even craft beer, there should be enough there here to satisfy you. That's, I would hope. It's a, it's a pretty good list. It's a longer list than I was expecting. I'll be honest. For a town the size of Scarborough, I was expecting maybe two, three places and <laughs> weather spoons. So. <laughs> It's it's quite impressive. Yeah, uh, it, I mean, if if you say it like that, then it might be impressive. But it, like, I, I, if I do go out, I generally, you know, because of what I've got downstairs, mm-hmm. um, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't I don't drink a lot in the pub. Um, it, I, we we sort of like we still haven't restarted our quiz night, which we're hoping to get started in March. Um, that would be a night where I would have a couple of beers with, you know, I sit with the same team every Thursday. Um, so that was one of my nights where I had a few pints. And normally what I would do, we normally have six casks on and six kegs. And I would normally have half a pint of all the casks that we had on. And I would normally have a third of a pint of all the kegs that we had on. And then it was it just, just for variation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I probably drink more cask now than keg, whereas certainly up until, let's say, March 2020, I predominantly drunk cans and keg beer. Um, now I tend to drink a lot more cask when I'm about. Um, I tend to go to Leeds quite... If I'm, if I'm going out, uh, I'll go and stop at a mate's in Leeds and we'll go here, there and everywhere, but... It normally involves cocktails as as much as it involves <laughs> beer. Um, it's uh, it, it's a hobby. Co- cocktailing's a hobby. Sorry, Mike popped off the thing there. Um, I am drinking the. You know, it's taken forty minutes to get into this. I'm currently drinking the oatmeal stout from you. It, it is lovely. Oh. Yeah, it's um. The... Well, I've, I've changed. I've changed that recipe three times, I think, um, and we literally brew all all the stouts that we do now are based on on the oatmeal stout recipe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. I, I just think it works really well. I think it's actually. I'm brewing, the just the standard version of the oatmeal stout again, uh, back end of March, I think. But when when we brew the stouts. Um, when when we you know I think the next ones on the list are we've got a, J- a Jamaican rum stout that we do so we do yeah. the base stout and then we'll we'll add some uh, natural flavourings into it post fermentation mm-hmm. so we sort of like we we'll, we'll get um, little sample um, of of the flavourings you know we 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 will only use natural ones um, don't don't use essence uh, and it's just it, it does seem to work for us, but it was getting the base beers right um, before you start tinkering with uh, what uh, my once-a-year drinking partner, Mark Johnston, would say, the desserterati. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, it, it certainly p- 
pushed our dark day sales through the roof. Whereas when we were brewing porters, stouts, stuff like that, back in the early days of the brewery in 2015, we would struggle to sell, pre-sell them or sell them quickly. Um, the first um, sort of like beer that we did that was different um, was the Rum and Raisin Dark Mild. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it once we'd done that... Um, then and it it was just it was mental things just we went from like brewing a dark beer once every six weeks to doing a dark beer once every two weeks so and it it, it, it's just they are really popular and like if you get into conversations with people and oh i'm such and such i i you know i own half an north riding brewery and they'll, most of them will say something like oh fudge i've had your fudge brownie stout it's amazing or i've had your rum and raisin i really enjoyed it and they'll, they tend to mention the dark beers <clears throat> and i still see myself as this pale hoppy you know hop forward modern pale ale brewer which you know maybe my interpretation of our reputation for what we do is different to other people's but it's you know it's mm. like when when people tell me what my best beer is i'm like just say you're not qualified to tell me that if if another brewer told me what they thought my best beer was i, I would probably prick my ears up and you know i'd be all ears but as a, as a brewer of beer uh, i just tell people you can have what you your is your favorite beer but on a technical point of view, you're probably not in a position to tell me what my best beer is. You know, you shouldn't get the two confused. Yeah, and you're of course. Like, is this guy for real here? And I'm like, yeah, I'm from the auction, mate. <laughs> of course, I, you know, I know you as a pale brewer first and foremost as well. You know, in being in Edinburgh, seeing Cascade and Mosaic and US IPA and its various variations pop up as well. It's, it's like. Who is this brewery that keep, that keep, we keep getting in? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah. The good thing for us was um, people who we dealt with. Yeah, I mean, the, the the guy that got our beers into Edinburgh uh, was uh, Denzel from Great Hack. It was, you know, sadly wow. not brewing anymore. Yes. He's back to his original job as a HGV driver now, and um, I know Denzel. He used to get vanfuls up to the Guildford Arms in Edinburgh which, pretty regularly, which is where I worked so for a while. I think is, I don't, is it was it is it Steve? It's, yeah, yeah. Yes, he runs the Guildford. Yeah, um, yep. Um, I still talk to Stevie fairly regularly. Yeah, um, we were in over the weekend, so, and I saw him and chatted to him and stuff. And yeah, because yeah, Denzel, that great heck hero, was bringing in. He was bringing up stuff that we'd never seen and stuff that we only saw through him, like Blue Bee, you guys. I'm trying to think who else he brought up apart from himself. He brought up just a mad range of stuff, because Stevie would text him and go, bring us 30 casks of beers we've never seen before. And he would just, especially in Yorkshire, you know, there's no there's no lack of small breweries that you've never seen before. It's certainly back then, and there was breweries that, you know, probably were about five barrels or whatever, or two barrels, and you know, if they sold any of it further than their own postcode, yeah. you were surprised. Well, that was it, you know. I mean, some, like when, you know, when when I was just brewing at the pub, the beer never went further than the gatepost, and that was it, but 
you know, every every even when I was one once I got two or three fermenters at the pub, then I started actively selling beer to other places. But we actually, I'm pretty sure we did a tap takeover at the Guildford once, where we actually sent some eighteens up with uh, Denzel, <laughs> and um, it, it's. I mean, we we haven't been to Edinburgh for a number of years now, which is something that we must rectify. And I remember going into the Guildford and you know introducing myself to steve and having a chat with him and that and it, it i mean it's just an absolutely amazing pub and you know it's it, i think for me that is when i think of like traditional scottish pubs with real ale and stuff like that it's one of the ones that i immediately think of and you know edinburgh is a is a great pub crawl i i had my stag weekend in edinburgh um it was uh, unfortunately it was in the middle of February though, mm-hmm. so it was uh, there was blizzards and all sorts. It was uh, it was it was not the best weather wise, but I think we'd planned on there was about eighteen pubs that we had on the plan, and I think we only managed maybe a dozen of them or something like that. But you saw the usual camaraderie on a Saturday night down Rose Street. Of I think I was the lucky stag person who didn't get chained to a lamppost with nothing but his. Uh, well, let's say nothing on, mm-hmm. uh, but you know it's, it's uh, you know it, I don't think we don't really do much in Scotland anymore, unfortunately. No, um, um, I think we we used to do a bit with a wholesaler uh, Glasgow way, but it's it's you know we we have regular wholesalers that we deal with. You know it's it you know as as a sort of like ten barrel brewery, you try and uh, pinpoint areas in the country, certainly where you don't deliver to, but you want to get your beers in, you know, it's very rare you see our beers in the south of England, London, those sort of areas. We do get, we do get as far as the West Country because we've got a wholesaler that we send to in Shrewsbury way and they literally cover the west side of, the, of England and into Wales as well. So every now and again, you'll see any Twitter feed oh, that this beer's turned up in, Wales somewhere and it's always it's the same people as well so you must be doing something right you, you know you're doing something right when people keep reordering beer anyway absolutely um so we left the north writing story at you've been very busy at the pub where when did you go right cool we need to upgrade and have a separate space altogether just um can you just pause it one sec, yep. Paul? I'm just going to move into the kitchen and put yep. my uh, laptop yep. on the A whole new view. Um, now, so. so yeah, so so sorry, where were we? Um, yes, yeah, so, we're moving into a separate facility for the brewery altogether. Yeah, it was it was it was a it was by chance really. Um, I, my my business partner at the. Uh, brewery, uh, a guy called Adrian, who I'd known since I lived in Filey for the first 25 years of my life, barring going to Newcastle for a bit of uh, academic study, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, and I, I used to play snooker. Um, he was, we used to play in the same snooker team in Filey. Uh, and he was the manager of the Ladbrokes in uh, Filey. So that's, I, I knew him from snooker and I knew him. He had his own betting shop uh, and I, I, I don't mind horse racing. I quite like it. 
and so you know we were we were mates before and in 2014 he was uh moving properties and he just needed somewhere to stay for maybe a month two months maximum while they were between houses and i just said well look you know we've got we've got five rooms at the at the pub if you want to come and stop if you can get your stuff in storage and you know, come and stop with us for a month or what you know however long you need you know it was it was at a time of the year where we weren't busy for the rooms so it didn't really make any difference to us and he basically said just in chatting one day um oh you know i don't i'm i'm looking to get out of the uh gaming industry um you know looking for to do something different and i i at the time i didn't bat an eyelid at it really and then about i think it was about a couple of days later a bit i got a whack in the ribs or a kick in the knee or something like that off uh karen who basically said are you going to are you going to take adrian up on his offer then and i'm like what offer what are you on about well you know about setting up a bigger brewery and i'm like I don't know what you're on about, love. He said, hey, that chat you had with Adrian the other other day about um, setting up a bigger brewery, and um, and then we just we just got chatting about it, and then we we decided that's what we were going to do. <laughs> I think she wanted me out of the, out of the pub more. I think I think she wanted a bit more. She was probably just sick of me being an idiot, and uh, you know she's she's quite capable. Well, she's done it for the last seven years, really running the pub. Um, my concern was obviously the brewing at the brew pub. I wanted it to continue and I wouldn't have been able to do both. So sort of like the middle of 2014, my eldest stepson, John, I got him working down in the brewery with me and um, I, I taught him how I, how I brewed beer on the two-barrel kit at the pub. And after a few months, I just left him to it and then me and Adrian started looking for places where we could set up a brewery. And we ended up finding one, <clears throat> agreed with the uh, owner of the building. It was just, it was a small first village out of uh, Scarborough on the uh, Thirsk Road <coughs> uh, in uh, East East Ayrton. So we, we managed to get in there, get everything set up, um, got a Dave Porter kit installed and we started brewing March 2015. Um, we, we originally, we had to postpone the original install because we didn't still have permission of the council and the government, even though we'd been waiting, like, I don't know, whatever it was. And so we'd ended up having to postpone the install and I think probably two days after we'd postponed it, we got the permissions through as well. So it was, but it was just one of those things. It was just, it was one one of not many setbacks that we had. Um, so we got the first beers on the bar at the pub. I think it was, it was either March or April 2015. Um, and certainly, I think I said one or two, one at least one year, if not two years down the line before, I would say we were being successful. We went from a brewery that made beer and then sold it 
to a brewery that pre-sold the majority of its beer and then made it, which course, is a yes. much better when, position to be in. When you don't have to do the actual selling of it and you can just distro and, it. Then yeah, it's, yeah. When it's already there. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like um, um, we, we thought we thought the space that we had at the, at the original site would be enough for what we were doing. And um, by the middle of, well, certainly the start of 2018, if not in, so between years two and three, um, we just, it, it just wasn't big enough. We, we were... We were spending more hours moving stuff around, um, which will be familiar to a lot of certainly somewhere between five and ten barrel breweries, where you spend most of your time moving stuff around to actually work, and it's just it's not product it's not productive, um, and we ended up finding where we are now in Snain, and it literally was by chance that we found this one because we're um would would tried moving three four times um one i think there was only one of them we pulled out of um one of the ones the the vendor basically tried the old or someone's come in and offered a little bit more money than you if you want to offer a little bit more and we just said no you take theirs and the, the spot stayed vacant for ages um then we actually we had a pre contract with one guy who then sadly passed away in his mid-50s and his family said we're not doing any more projects uh, he was one of the main Scarborough property owners as well um, and then you're like thinking god this is never going to happen and then my uh, brother-in-law um, there's literally around the corner where the brewery is now there's uh, there's a dog grooming spot called shampoo what a great name for a dog grooming spot uh, and my 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 brother-in-law um takes his west highland terriers there and saw this the building that we're in now and there was a couple of lads there doing work on it so he went over and said oh you know who owns this like and you know he said oh it's uh stock hills uh, all, all this site is stock hills and he said, is anyone going at this unit? And he said, oh, I don't know, you'll have to ring Alex, our landlord. And so anyway, he just got the number for for this guy, and I rung him, and he hadn't even gone on to market. So we managed to actually get it at a pre-market price. So And it was three, it's nearly three times as big as our old site. So some of the, well, a lot of the money that we'd sort of like progressed with from the original spot we invested in uh, certainly we we bought a couple of more tanks and we invested in a quite a substantial sized cold room so we went from having a cold room where you could only fit 13 pallets of beer in uh, to a cold room where you can now comfortably fit 50 pallets of beer in and i know because in march 2020 mm. we ended up with 50 pallets of beer in there because if, if you you know, we, we, we sort of like work on a four-week brew cycle, so you will always have four uh-huh. to six weeks' worth of stock in the cold room, which is, that was the equivalent of, like, we had, like I say, we ended up with 50 pallets of beer in there, and we'd stopped brewing um, two, week, two weeks before we actually got locked down because you, you knew what was happening in other countries. 
Uh, and we managed to, over the next month or so, just repackage it all into bottles and mini kegs. And we, our, our losses were minimal, thankfully. Um, we still ended up chucking quite a lot of beer away that was in people's mm-hmm. cellars that had been broached. Uh, anything that we could get back, we did get back. And that that was it, really. And it's it's been hot and cold, certainly for the last 18 months. Um, the back end of last year was pretty good. Um, start of this year is looking okay as well. Um, that's that's roughly where we're at now, really. I mean, the the, the, the thing about lockdown, it, if there, if you want to take any pluses about it, are the fact that I managed to be able to brew a couple of beers that I wouldn't have brewed in our normal cycle, which is which I'm... one I did I did a barley wine. And two, I did an imperial stout. It's not something that you would ever have on the program. That, I am actually. That, I was working. I was working up to asking you about that. That was line. actually. That was brewed. Yeah. So, so, so the Scarborough Strongman is obviously uh, is, is it was the recipe for that was mm-hmm. done by Stuart Ross, who is now at Kirkstall Brewery, who is ex. You know, he, used he, to be, was, he was at, he was at Magic Rock at the brewery, time. In a lot of ways. Um, and we, so yeah, well, yeah, and we, we, I, I sort of like said we we'd done these tap these regular tap takeovers at the pub, and I sort of like said, well, if you're coming over to brew, we'll do this recipe on the at the brewery kit on the ten barrel. But what I also want to do, if you come up with a recipe, let's um, let's do something on the two barrel at the pub at the same time. So you would go, we would go up to the brewery, um, mash in the brew, and then drive back to the pub and mash in the brew there. And then we would leave uh, our John to finish off the brew at the uh, brew pub, and we'd go back and finish off the brew up at the brewery. And I mean, the intention for Scarborough Strongman was to make it roughly about eight to eight point five percent, and it got down to a certain gravity, and it just would not go anymore. Which I'm quite surprised at, to be honest with you. But um, I, you know, we were hoping for somewhere around eight. Yeah, well, seven point four. If he wants to stop somewhere, somewhere around seven point four is really good because then you don't pay the extra duty on it, which. Um, Fortunately, it's going to change. It's going to change. Mm. It, it, it's changing in April twenty three. So the level of duty, the next threshold, Ooh. I think is it's going to be eight eight and a half percent or eight. I think it's eight point four, eight point five. So I would imagine a lot of the beers that you find at seven point four, <laughs> all of a sudden might increase to eight point four, or eight percent, or something like that. It's like. When I see when I see beers at seven point six percent, I'm like, these fuck are from Yorkshire. You know, if you just made it point if you'd have made it point two percent less, which isn't gonna change the dramatics of the beer whatsoever, you will have saved yourself another you know, yeah. I mean, it's twenty five percent. You know, it the the duty the duty thing, it, it's it's mad and you know, I'm I'm sure you're probably well aware of everything that went on mm-hmm. with the small brewers rate relief reviews and everything like that so you've got these you've got these basically million pound profit breweries that are saying they're being squeezed by all this new modern up and coming beer 
and um, basically the result of it is is a, an absolute small fry like us. We were one of the few that were caught in that duty threshold where we're basically going to be asked to pay extra. So our duty payments next year will go up from 50% of the full rate to 50.8%. So in effect, we're paying nearly 2% more duty from next year if we do whatever the new thresholds are. So their, their argument and lobbying to say that Oh, it's you know you've created this cliff edge at five thousand hectolitres, and it prevents growth and this, that, and the other. They paid a lot of money to lobbying groups to go to the governments, tell them all this, who then said, "Oh yeah, they're right." You know, it's about time we had a review. Um, and how how small brewers like us ended up paying more is yeah. you know I find it astonishing, really. Um, you know, and even us filling these forms out with CBA and doing this survey and that survey and, you know, it, it's, it, you know, it is what it is. It just shows you the power of lobby has yeah. in uh, in Whitehall. I really. don't want to end on a... <laughs> I, I could rattle on when you Don't. I'll, I'll put you on a call with Steve long. Dunkley and I'll, I'll record that and I'll let you two just fire on and just get into it. Is, is that... Is that Steve? Yes, is that, who we were in. Mean, is that uh, Bay Nilvers, Dave? Yeah, whatever. With, yes. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> he, he can talk for days on that. He can. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've just so, remembered. Yeah, see, I don't want to yeah, end on a yeah. negative note. How does 2022 look for you? What's, you know, is there any big sort of projects on the go? Is there any sort of things you want to sort of sneak into the Bruce schedule? Well, uh, we 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 very I think either late March or early April um, I'm going to be brewing another Imperial Stout. I've still got a bourbon barrel that's been unused at the brewery, which I'm going to fill up, and then we're going to just sit it back until probably we'll maybe release that at Christmas as well. Um, the <clears throat> it's with the same people, the Needle and Pin Micropub in Loughborough. So I'm doing it with the same people that we did the previous one that got released sort of like November last year that was, I mean, the sales of that were well beyond our expectations. I mean, normally when we bottle things, it, it's, we don't, we, you know, it's probably about one, 2% of our business. Um, and then all of a sudden we're sat with nearly 200 cases of these bomber Imperial Stouts and I think we've I think we've got about thirty left at the brewery now. So it was uh, the you know the sales were really solid on it. And it's the thing is, it's if you don't sell it, it it's just going to sit in a case in in your in your brewery. Where I mean, <laughs> I think we put ten year shelf life on it. So anyway, so there's a, there's an MP stout in the in the runnings that will get released this this year. Uh, also. Um, we uh, I've got a collab away at Osset coming up in April with my mate Paul Spencer. Uh, I've also arranged, well, I haven't arranged, but I've agreed to do a home and away collab with Danny from McCall's Brewery in Durham. Uh, bumped into him last time I was delivering in Newcastle. We had a good chinwag in the... Uh, Sort of like the loading area at Central Station. Um, I've also I'm trying to get Ben. I'm trying to get Ben from Rivington over here as well. 
Um, I said to him, would brew a mild, and he kept rattling. He, well, he kept rattling and me, telling me, telling me he wanted to put chipotles in it and stuff like that. And I just told him to get in the sea. I said, I, I said you can do a mild. I said, if you want a cask of it for Rivy Tap and you want to put some chipotles in it, I ain't got a problem with it, Ben. But I'm not. Do it for, I don't want to um... do a chipotle mild. It's just not. I just. I like. Yeah, I like. Yeah. I don't get me wrong. I like chili. Yeah, it's not one I like. Chili, you know. <laughs> It's I I haven't come across a chili spiced yeah I, I haven't come across a chili spiced beer that I think maybe the only one I've sort of like put up with yeah was the Merlot that Magic Rock did quite a number of years ago I thought that was gently spiced enough but I don't know it's just not for me uh, we're also we've got. We've been asked to help out um, beer houses who own uh-huh. the they own a few of our customers, uh, so like Staley Bridge Buffy Bar, Sportsman in Huddersfield, West Riding Refreshment Rooms at Dewsbury, places like that. Um, they're they're doing a beer festival in Dewsbury this year called Dice. I, I forget what it stands for, but uh, Barry, the guy that's a manager of them all. Uh, I've bumped into him at Staley Bridge the last twice and he said, you know, can we do a special for this beer festival we're organising in, I think it's in, when is it? It's in May. So I said, yeah, of course we can. You know, we do quite a lot of business with them. Um, and I'm like, yeah, what, what do you want us to brew? I'm not like thinking this might be an opportunity for me to do a best beer. It's one of the few styles um, that I've, I've don't brew and simply because mm-hmm. I don't think we would shift 49s of it. That's the issue. And we have on numerous occasions, sort of like, not for a while, like, but put an email out saying, if we brewed the best beer, who would want one? And I don't think we'll mm-hmm. have more than 20 S's. So I hate yeah. brewing a beer if half it's going to sit in the cold room for a month or two months while we try and flog it. And I was like, please say best beer. And he's like, well, he says, your mosaics are popular, most popular <laughs> beer that you do, uh, can you do as a six and a half percent version of it in an IPA style? And I'm like, hell yeah. I'd, I'd, I had in 2020, I had on the brew schedule to do a seven percent mosaic IPA, sort of like a souped up version of, of our standard one. And we just never got around to brewing it because like most people's brew schedule yeah. in 2020, it got chucked well, in the bin, unfortunately. So um I've, I've got a recipe i've got a recipe on the system for it so again and i would imagine um at some point towards early autumn i will be doing a brew for the salford beer festival and i have uh i have sort of like i haven't well i have i have sort of um oh. told jim who i'd like to go and brew with um and it's something that i should have probably arranged to do last year but didn't get round to it um, so I, you know, I, Mr. Mr. Parker said he would come up to Scarborough as well, Andy, and uh, do a do a brew with us at some point. So maybe we, we could do some. We, I, I just brewed Snain and Heights at the back end of last year with Stu from Kirkstall, and that was based on his Brooklyn Heights beer that he did back in the day when mm-hmm. he was brewing in Sheffield about fifteen years ago. So I just had I've had this idea in my head today that. Um, we should maybe do Snane and Trail <laughs> with uh, Elusive at some point of fear. Excellent. Do. So I'll, I'll uh, 
I, I have. I do speak. I do speak to Andy pretty regularly. So he said he would be delighted Ooh. to come up here at Excellent. some point this year and do a brew. So you know, just just keep him busy, really. Just and and we just plan on doing boatloads more of cask beer again this year. We have, we have. Uh, we're probably one of few, or maybe quite a lot of breweries who were quite happily where we're sat. You know, we do. We have no no interest in growth really. We're just happy making the amount of beer that we do, selling it all, looking after our people, looking after our customers. Cool. And, and that well, is let's wrap it up there. Um, hopefully, I'll see you soon. Well, let's uh, let's get up, let's get in soon. Um, I'm being called back. ready, Paul. Indeed, yes. Um, it's Friday night. I'll let you get back to your Friday. Enjoy it. Let's do. Let's let's hang out soon. Yep. <laughs> Cox Scotland, or we'll come down to Scarborough. We'll see you soon. <laughs> well yeah if not you, do, do you plan on going down do you plan on going we'll, down we'll see if that one goes ahead that's year. a that's a definite oh. possibility that one that's that's on the cards if it's if it's happening yes yeah. but yeah um yeah well on, on the flip side if if we absolutely. do manage to get up to edinburgh somewhere i'll give you a heads up mate and uh, absolutely, give you plenty absolutely. Notes, um, so you yeah like i say enjoy the rest of your friday I'm being hollered for various things, um, so I shall see you soon. <laughs> nice chatting. Yeah, all right, Paul. Nice, nice chatting to you, mate.